It's the My Michelle Live podcast. Looking for the God story and news of the day. My Michelle Live news and views. Here's Michelle. Hey, thank you for joining in today. This great American experiment. Back in the day, these brilliant men came together under this idea that there is a self-evident truth that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. It was an experiment that was unlikely, but miraculous. And we're living off of its fruits. But things have changed where freedoms are concerned. A brand new report that was released today says that global freedoms have hit a dismal, that's not my word, that's the folks who coined this or wrote this report. They say it's a dismal record low for freedoms around the world. That should really wake us up. It's the London-based Economic Intelligence Unit that put this report out. And they said that it has plummeted freedoms throughout the world faster in this last year than ever before since they have been taking account. What can be done about that? And how important are our freedoms? Today, what you're going to hear are stories, literally, of the miraculous. You're going to experience the importance of freedom and maybe get insight into what is going on around us. Make some sense of the chaos, because that's what we do on My Michelle Life. We look a little deeper for the God story. And I'm going to tell you today, I guarantee you, we're going to find it. My guest, I am delighted to speak with. I've read many of his articles. He is a fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institute and a senior fellow at the Seattle-based Discovery Institute. Uh, He has written and contributed to almost every major publication uh, in our country and in many places around the world. And he is the author of a new book that everyone should read, Rediscovering America. Scott Powell, thank you for joining us today. Oh, Michelle, it's a delight. It really is. It's great to be with you and great to be with your audience. Thank you. Thank you. Can we start with something? This self-evident truth doesn't seem to be so self-evident anymore. Well, it's hidden right now. You know, we have forces of light and darkness, right? You know, it is not a right and left uh, political Republican versus Democrat. It's really uh, it's it's really all about the light and the and the darkness and the darkness has encroached on the light a great deal, but it, but but the truth is still there. These values, these unalienable rights, are given by God. They can't be taken away by any state or any group. They're still there, but we've got to push back now. We're in an unprecedented time. We have a tendency to think there'll be a white knight riding in to rescue us, but I I think this time is different. We ourselves have got to reclaim America, uh, reclaim these freedoms that we we've largely taken for granted. Ah, that's the problem. We've kind of taken these freedoms for granted. Uh, 
And what I what we're going to do a bit today is look into the past to learn about the present and find some hope for the future. That old phrase, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. I think we have forgotten it. Maybe they're not teaching that in schools today. You know, we're too busy with critical race theory and uh, new math or subjective math. Maybe we've kind of forgotten to look through history and see some of the similarities that we're seeing today. It it is interesting. And and I'm wondering if you found this as you put together rediscovering America, uh, how national holidays tell the amazing story about who we are. If you had seen some of those uncanny, strange things that seem to repeat themselves in history. Well, the, the book really, fo- the book is very unlike a traditional history book. You know, most historians, they focus on the who, what, when, and where. They tend to cover everything in great detail. My yes, book- but your history, the, your, the, the history that you present is history for the rest of us. Those of us well, who, it, I it, love it, history, Scott, but it, my eyes would glaze over in history class. And I love history because the facts, the figures, the names, it, when it becomes stories and and uh, you personalize you you make it real that's the history i can relate to well that this rediscovering america is your kind of book it really talks about the why's why did things happen most historians just account for the who what, what when and where my book is about the why's but not the i don't cover the entire every year of american history i focus on the key transitional periods which happened to be represented by the holidays, starting with Columbus Day, the discoverer who discovered the so-called New World. And then Thanksgiving focuses on the early settlement of the pilgrims, which they were extraordinary people uh, in many ways. And then we go, then we move on, we cover the Christian holidays uh, and the founding of the country. And then it's, it, it's the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln that is a key transitional time. Uh, and, and then we're in the modern 20th century with the wars, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, and, and Martin Luther King's civil rights movement, which really brought completion, if you will, to the vision of the founders in the Declaration of Independence of 1776. Ooh. You know, that's a very good point in, in this time of racial confusion. Um, as I understand it, through the the stories of our american past and the foundings the constitution itself slavery for example racism uh, this two tier of of society in in the the, a caste an american caste system was doomed to failure because of those unalienable rights because of the the eternal i would say truths that are interwoven into our founding documents yes you're so right the real backstory of america and the founding of america was the was the protestant reformation before the protestant reformation most all social uh religious political authority structures were hierarchical there was a pecking order. Uh, what, the, what the Protestant Reformation introduced was the priesthood of all believers, that all people were equal before God and, and could access God without the mediating church institutions. 
Now, Martin Luther didn't want to create a new church. Uh, he wanted to reform the Catholic Church, but he accomplished both. The Protestant movement was founded. And th the ideas that motivated those early Protestants that, you know, following uh, Martin Luther, you had John Calvin and you had John Knox. Uh, that's where the crucible of these political ideas of, uh, of equality, of democratic representation, of Knox took it so far as that when you had a corrupt king, the people could depose that king. Uh, wow. These were these were revolutionary ideas, and it turns out that uh, that there was continuing religious persecution of the Protestants. They called them separatists in England, and those were the pilgrims who ultimately came to America, and um, and they founded a, a colony based on their beliefs. Uh, but they also had a remarkable group of people. It, only half the uh, uh, half the passengers on the Mayflower were uh, separatists, Christian believers. The other half were, you know, were craftsmen. You had Miles Standish, a military guy. You had the crew on the ship. But they they all joined together in, in the in that founding uh, document um, and. And they formed a treaty with the Indians that lasted 50 years. It's, it, they were a remarkable group. So there's, they perhaps are a little remote. And if we move, if we move through the stories, we find really the most captivating stories are around the American founding. Uh, I, I could see that coming to America, this God story, you could say, interwoven into how things started from the beginning and, and it is very important but in those stories Scott in that God story you see a benefit for people who are outside of the the belief of God we've continued to see uh, that while there isn't always liberty and justice for all there is the idea, the belief, the hope for liberty and justice for all. It is the tenets to which we are striving. Even though there have been very religious, very Christian, biblical ideologies that have formed and grown our nation, has it not benefited those who stand outside of that belief system? The people on the fringe. Tremendously so. Most of the things that that uh, progressives uh, applaud, uh, women's rights, uh, education uh, for children, um, health care, hospitals, mm -hmm. universities, these were all founded in America by Christians. Now, it's, you make a very good point that fundamental to uh, the ideas of the Reformation, there was freedom of conscience, and therefore no one had authority to tell someone else what they had to believe. It was free choice. And the founders understood that there would be many people living in America that would choose to live in America for various reasons and they wouldn't be Christian. And they, they wanted them to have equal access, upward mobility, political access to be able to vote. No, you know, no discrimination really. It's, it, it, it's really, you know, Christ's ideal. You, you love all people. You empower all people. It's a level playing field that they try to institute. 
that's the difference between having, let's say, the word that is one of the words of the day is systemic racism. Uh, that there isn't within the system built any kind of racism. On the contrary, uh, the system is meant to provide a loving, level playing field. I would say that it is within the hearts of individuals, the evils of man that try to institute, well, our way is better or uh, we, uh, tri- our tribe is, is the one that should control. It really is the evil of man that creates that, not the tenets of our founders. I couldn't agree more. I think our, our founding documents, both the Declaration and the Constitution, are amazing documents and they are the really the framework for freedom and opportunity upward mobility a classless society uh those need to be upheld i mean they they really protect us from government abuse and tyranny and we've seen a big loss of freedoms as you pointed out in the introduction uh there's been a real decline of freedom I think eight of our first 10 amendments have been regularly violated over the last year and a half or two years or more. I feel really. like I'm in an abusive relationship. <laughs> As we look at the maybe centering on our differences, tribalism, even racism, uh, it, it, it is readily apparent in our constitution, in our system, uh, that equality is is very apparent. Um, there's not a systemic problem. That's important to note. But there is a problem within individuals. And that individual, the, the um, individual angst, the individual hate, the, uh, you can call it racism, but it is really hate. We're one race. We're a human race. We just find different ways to differentiate, to, to tribe up, to make someone else the enemy, the, the, the bad guy. Uh, we heard Whoopi Goldberg say, well, you know, that whole, that whole thing in Germany with the extermination of, that wasn't about race. It was just bad people doing things to bad people. Now, while that was very ignorant, because if I got on the air today, Scott, and said, well, you know, that whole slave thing in America, that wasn't about race. It was just bad people doing things to bad people. I would be canceled. I'd be so canceled. I'd be canceled yesterday. You wouldn't be able to find me. But Scott, um, there is actually some truth to what Whoopi said. It is bad people doing things that we, this, the, the evil within us doing things to other people. That really is the base of racism, hate, canceling, and, and the like. We've seen that while America is very good, there has been a lot of cancel culture before that was even a term. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it has. Yeah, no, we are not a perfect nation. We have been a work in progress. And one of the powerful themes in the book uh, are the time together of the three chapters, the July 4th chapter and the Declaration of Independence, which provided this vision of 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 a society based on equal, where all people had equal value, uh, they had freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we know that after the revolution, 
Revolutionary War was won, we had an interim period before establishing the Constitution. And we were in, we were in bad shape, by the way, because the, 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 the colonies, which had now become states, were not at all united, all kinds of problems. They needed to form a effective government. Um, so that was done in the Constitutional Convention of um, 1787. And that, that, that was an amazing meeting. In four months, they actually drafted the Constitution. But at that time, we all know that there were the southern states that participated were slaveholding states. Mm -hmm. Everyone understood that slavery was an issue that had to be dealt with, but it couldn't be done at the time of drafting the Constitution. And there was also a belief in the states. You know, there, there was a, a reluctance to give too much power to the federal government, that states really would be the repository of a lot of power, and the states would correct this immoral institutional thing, and they spoke about it. There are many Southern people that were against slavery. In any case, we all know that that didn't happen. Uh, and then the, we approached the middle of the 19th century, 1860. Lincoln gets elected. Everybody knew that he was an anti-slave uh, candidate. He had, he had argued for no, no, no further expansion of slavery in the new territories. He didn't, he again was careful about assuming office to make war on the Southern states. And in the end, he was faced with secession because they, the Southern states felt that there was a long train of abuse by the North against the South. A lot of historians don't really cover that. And the, and the Southerners felt that they were expressing their constitutional right to assert their, their states as being independent. And that was secession. And it was that that brought on the Civil War. And interestingly, uh, the Civil War didn't go well for the, for the Union for the first couple of years. First of all, the South had the best military general. That was Robert E. Lee. Um, and, and, and Lincoln is in the White House. He's struggling because he's, you know, he's, he's a Christian. He believes in God. He's a praying man. And he knows that the Southerners are praying to the same God. Hmm. They're both praying to the same God. And... And yet his side, which he felt is more righteous, was losing the first two years of the war. And in his prayer life, he had an epiphany that he really needed to take a stand against slavery. And he even kind of made a deal with God that if we can push the Confederates back into Virginia, I will proclaim the emancipation of slavery. Well, just such a thing happened. There were a lot of, there was a miracle associated with the turning of the war at the Battle of Antietam fascinating story, it's all in the book. Uh, so the, the, the Emancipation Proclamation was announced on January 1st of 1863. Uh, and from that time on, because Lincoln a lot, uh, you know, aligned himself with God's will, with God, what God wanted was, was that slavery would be abolished, it would be removed, it was a blemish in the American nation. That was God's will. Once Lincoln aligned with God's will and took a stand, the fortunes of the war changed. And the next two years, of course, we know his history and, and uh, the Union forces won. And, you know, there's a lot to be learned by the defeated side, the, the Southerners. Uh, Robert E. Lee was an exemplary man. You know, he, he was one of two people in the whole history of West Point who graduated with no demerits. Hmm. That's and, something. It's, it's remarkable, one of only two in all the 
175 years of West Point. But he, he was, he was, you know, he, he was anti-slavery, you know, he freed his own, he inherited, or his wife inherited slaves from her parents when they passed away. Robert E. Lee freed those slaves. And they didn't just free them, they took the time to educate and care for them and prepare them for their freedom before they were freed. That is who Robert E. Lee was. Uh, he was an amazing Christian man. He probably brought more soldiers to Christ than any other military figure in our history. He declared that Sundays there'd be no fighting, that it would be a time for rest, fellowship, prayer, reading the Bible, but no fighting. <laughs> he instituted that. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? It is. And well, when those we... stories are not known because of the political correctness. Uh, there's no right. interest. But I think he, it was, he was also exemplary in how he accepted defeat. He, he, he accepted it with, with honor, with dignity, and he totally accepted it. They didn't try to justify anything. And of course, unfortunately, uh, Lincoln, just five days after uh, the, um, the, the, the uh, surrender at Appomattox in the end of the war, Lincoln was assassinated. And this compassionate man then was removed from the scene. And so the, the reconstruction of the South didn't go very well. Yeah. And of course, we know there were black laws and Jim Crow laws, and even the Supreme Court weighed in with Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896, declaring that in America, it would be separate but equal. You'd be equal, yes, but you'd yeah. live separately. So there would be segregation and discrimination. That went well into the 20th century, as we know. Well, what happened? A man was raised up to deal with that. A man a of compassion. Yes, a very imperfect man. Martin Luther King was not perfect. None of these people are. None of us are. But perfect but God, for the time. God used Martin Luther King in an amazing way. And we all know what he said in the I Have a Dream speech, where he cast the vision. Yes. He, he actually, not only did he say this, but as a as a preface, he said, I've come to Washington to collect on a promissory note. What was that promissory note? That promissory note was the Declaration of Independence, that he was going to collect on that promise that was made 175 years earlier, earlier and uh, or nearly 200 years um, in the end, um, that this vision of a society where people would not be judged by the color of their skin, but rather the content of their character. Uh, I mean, you, you can't really get a better standard than that. That's really God's standard. And that was established. And there were many civil rights laws that were passed after that. And remember, Martin Luther King, he went to jail 29 times over, over you know, 15 or 16 years. And he too, uh, gave his life for the cause, just as Lincoln had. He was, you could say he was a martyr. He gave, you know, he was assassinated. Mm -hmm. But out of all of that, what happened? Race relations really began to change rather dramatically. And there was more upward mobility for blacks. And, and by the time we're in the late, you know, uh, 1900s before the turn of the century, the, tw the 21st century, you know, blacks had achieve dominance in, in uh, the entertainment industry, in the sports industry, 
We had a black president elected in 2008. Today we have, rep in our reference, for the first time in American history, we now have black people uh, represented by, represented in the same percentage of the population uh, that they are. They're about 12.5% of the population, about 12.5% of our congressmen for the first time in our history are black. Yeah. We can celebrate that. That's great. And we should you know, because we've, we've made enormous progress. Yeah. And for the cancel culture, for the critical race theory and the 1619 project uh, to, you know, you know, to take the stage now, if you will, is it's totally out of step with who we are and how much we accomplished. And history. And and the history, yeah, and because the history. history has been uh, through America. We, if we really look into history, we see that the logical conclusion of the Constitution is that promissory note that Martin Luther King wanted to cash in that you mentioned, and that yeah. is that liberty and freedom. While there are pockets of, and there had been throughout our past, pockets of laws and, and actions that have worked against people and have been racist, hateful, the logical conclusion really is liberty and freedom. That's why it's important to talk about because, Scott, I, it's not a systemic problem. It's not systemic well, it racism. Not. It yeah. is a systemic sin problem that we have. I think we have a it. lot of problem of smoke and mirrors of what our real issues are in America, what's really holding us back, what's really causing the violence, the, the, the division, the the want, the need, the, the hurt, the pain, the angst. It, it's smoke and mirrors to me. What, what say you? Well, I think it's a combination of the moral decline in America, which is very significant. How is that been, significant? Because it, it's not, really that's a, not one of those, self, it should be one of those self-evident things. But again, it's not. Well, we, we don't we, get we, it. I mean, we, we could measure it by the family structure, broken homes. We could measure it by... Uh, what's going on in schools, we could measure it by the increase in crime, but we could measure it by the increase in division. We've never been so divided as we are today, except perhaps at the time of the Civil War. But we have to remember where, you know, when our country was founded and as it grew, there was a recognition that we needed, we needed the competition of ideas to bring about the best ideas. So the notion of of, of cancel culture and uniform thinking and groupthink are totally out of step with what leads to greatness. And even corporations, as woke as they are today, when they're managed, they want people in the boardroom, the officers in the boardroom and the contributors to all come up with their own ideas to contribute their ideas that the best ideas could rise to the top for whatever they were trying to do, the launch of the new product, the marketing, what, whatever. No one has a monopoly on the best ideas, economically or politically. And we're a country of tolerance. So we've got to accept ideas that we don't necessarily like. And really the measure of the, the measure of the first, the strength of the first amendment is that we, uh, is that we, we accept as part of our life reading or listening to ideas that we disagree with. Yeah. It, they hurt. And you hear people say, you shouldn't have the right to hurt me. Well, 
that hurt, hurt makes us grow. It's, it's in the painful times that we grow. It's, it's in those uncomfortable moments that our own world is challenged and we seek truth. All right. You say something, it makes me feel uncomfortable because it just challenged my truth. But how much truth is it in what you just said? And can I grow from that? Can I become a better person? The Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that provides to me the most glorious visual of, of two blades, ching, 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 sparks flying. They do. And sparks fly when you disagree. But in the end with, with mutual mutual respect with a, a, a humble spirit that I should come into a relationship with or a conversation with, I'm ready to learn from you and hopefully vice versa. That's how innovation happens. That's how science advances. That's how we grow as a people. And I think we have lost that. And we, why I think your book is important is that you highlight history in ways that we are so quick to forget. I wanted to touch on briefly, this being Black History Month, the importance of uh, the 1619 Project and and our mis- maybe misunderstanding of, of history in that. Well, this, I'll be very direct and frank about the 1619 Project. Uh, that book was written by non-historians, uh, reporters in the media, the New York Times, uh, their accounting for the introduction of slavery in America was, is incorrect. It's false. It was not introduced to Jamestown in 1619. The black slaves that had been captured from another ship, uh, they were on a British ship that called on Jamestown because they were out of supplies. They're out of water and food. And, you know, they, they were going to go back to, uh, I don't know where they were going exactly, where they were returning to Great Britain, but they, they needed help. And they needed to trade in order to get that food and water. And they had black uh, laborers on board that had, you know, been taken from Africa, I think by the Spaniards or the Portuguese. And it was, they were traded, if you will, as indentured servants, which was a custom in that time. There were many Irish people that, you know, became indentured servants. And that is when you have a debt you serve, a t- you serve time as a worker, as a laborer, you're taking care of room and board for a period of time and then you're free. So your debt is finished, is over. So that was a, a legal tradition of the time. But also we all have to remember that in that time and really right up to the, to the American founding, uh, slavery was a part of life everywhere in the world. So America was, while it's a shame that it got introduced, it was a shame that, in a way, the Southern agricultural industry really uh, caused that to become institutionalized and grow significantly. But but history is history. And, you know, we, we dealt with it uh, in a way that was very painful. When people talk about reparations, let me tell you, uh, the reparations have been paid. They were paid with 620000 almost all white men's lives who died in the Civil War. It was the bloodiest war of our history. And they died that Black people could become free. Wow. That is, that's put in a way that I had never thought before. And it is very profound when you think of what it has taken to 
secure our liberty and to maintain our liberty. It is uh, a freedom that is on the shoulders of those who have been willing to give their lives. And in this case, many white men who gave their lives that black Americans can have the freedom that we all have today. That's an astounding thought. Um, and, and in that there's healing when you think of, uh, the, the truth of history, that we are one human race, that those who were sold into slavery were often sold by their own people, by people who right. had the same skin color. It is indeed a human condition. Now, I wanted to get back to the just beauty. Just to finish your thought on Yes, that please, we, we, please. We what you've really described, Michelle, is that the history of America is a history of redemption. That's a, that is what you know, Jesus Christ introduced to us. He, he was to redeem us from our, you know, from sin, free mankind from sin. Now, in, you know, as a nation, we had a national sin. It was called slavery. But the Civil War uh, and the leadership that arose in the civil rights movement gave full redemption for that, you know, that sin, for, for that, uh, that, that, that horrible uh, institution that, that was introduced to our country, not purposely, no one asked for it. It's just one of those things that happened and it may have taken longer than we'd like to deal with it, but it was dealt with. Because and it's the logical conclusion of right. our constitution. Exactly. And we don't drive our car by looking in the rear view mirror. We are forward looking people. Critical race theory, the 1619 project is asking us to look to look at our present and future through the rearview mirror. And it's totally inappropriate. It is demoralizing for uh, the American people to, to, you know, to bathe in that water. Uh, we are a people that are, that are positive, forward-looking, and uh, the best could be yet to come. I, I'm looking forward to that, you know, that revival of values, that spiritual revival. It's not going to be just politics that solves our problem. In fact, I really do think that is really the, the, the moral uh, quality of life that needs revival in America. And you see that moral quality of life as we pour through the pages of, of your book, you see the morality, you see the miraculous through our holidays. And what I love about that, um, holidays are like a benchmark. They're a reminder. If you are in love, if you're married, you have an anniversary. That anniversary is a, it's a benchmark. It's a reminder of something amazing that took place. And it, it's a celebration of the past, but it's also a, a moment to look forward to many years to come. That's what an anniversary is. These holidays are anniversaries of momentous, uh, memorable occasions in our history that we can look back on, learn from, and celebrate for the future. As we're not looking, at, not looking in the rearview mirror. You do gaze back once in a while and go, "Oh yeah, that's where I've been." But we look forward. I w was hoping that you could share some of the extraordinary stories that you put together, bringing history to life in rediscovering America. Oh, there are so many. You know, I, I identify nine qualities of character 
in these uh, transitional, uh, larger than life figures that punctuate our history from the pilgrims right to the modern, modern, modern times, modern generals for, uh, you know, uh, yes. we have to be inclusive. I mean, Martin Luther King was not a political leader. He was a, you know, he, he was a, a pastor. He was a, a social movement leader. Um, but in any case, I, I, I think the quality of character that protects all many of the others is courage. And that's in very short supply these days. But you think back on our heritage and the, the, courage, the, the element of courage is so important. Let's, let's take George Washington, for instance, a remarkable man. And by the way, George Washington exhibited pretty much all nine of those qualities. He came as close wow. to a Christ-like figure uh, of anybody that's lived, I think, in our history. And, and he was protected by God. Let me tell you a short story about him. Before, uh, 21 years before the revolution, he was, you know, he was a military man and he was serving under General Braddock, the British general, and the French and Indian War was going on at that time. And Washington's a young guy, he's 23, he's just a colonel, he's a junior officer, and he's with 1,400 troops under General Braddock's leadership, and they get ambushed in the valley of the Monongahela. And the sharpshooter Indians were hidden behind trees and they were in the open field and they trained their rifles on all the people on horseback because the the indian chief said that's that's who the officers are we kill all the officers we we can take them all and so one by one the officers fell they were all shot uh until and that happened rather quickly 20 25 minutes all the officers but one is taken down. And that one officer was the junior most officer named George Washington. Wow. And, they, and, and the Indian chief later testified how he told his, his warriors to get that man, to bring him down. And by the time with Washington being the junior officer, he, he realized we, we've got to retreat. I mean, we're devastated. And so he was in charge of organizing the retreat. Well, by that time, Washington was on his third horse his two first horses had been shot out from under him. He, he organizes the retreat, and that night, you know, they're they're decompressing whatever you do after a day like that. And Washington examines his uniform. Washington had four bullet holes through his uniform, but not a scratch on his body. That's astounding. It's a true story. It's all documented. It's in the book. It's in the but that's what, astounding. But what, it, what, what it did to Washington. He gave he gave all the credit to Providence, to God, that God protected him. And so this he became a man of incredible courage where when he was finally hired as the commander in chief of the Continental Army, he always led from the front. I mean, he was right in the front, right where the hail of bullets is and the swords and but that's who he was. He was, and you know, and his men loved him for it. Wow. You know, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, let me tell you about one other engagement. And there, there's many more, but the other engagement I found rather um, enlightening was the battle for Princeton. And uh, of course, the the war in the first year it was a mixed bag. Basically, Washington had been routed from New York, lost three battles there, and there's a story there about his another retreat that he had to organize, which is just a fascinating story, but 
in the interest of time, let's focus on Princeton. Princeton was uh, a battle that took place about, oh, six months after, you know, after the retreat from New York, Princeton, New Jersey, that is. And <clears throat> through intelligence, Washington learned that the British were occupying Princeton or they were located in Princeton and he, he was called to go, you know, to take it to take the battle to the British. And <clears throat> as usual, Washington's leading out front, hail of bullets is all around him. Uh, and his leadership, his courage on display was so great that it, it just mobilized his, his troops in a way that hadn't been seen before. In fact, the local Princeton observers some of whom were ambiguous about the war. Remember, there were many loyalists still in America, but there were enough of those Princeton residents that were so inspired by seeing Washington on his horse leading from the front in the midst of this battle that they went and got their guns and joined in the battle. It's Local inspirational. Princeton people. These are stories that are just amazing. And there's many, many, many more. And it's not just Lincoln, it's many others. Let me tell you about a modern story, uh, a wartime story. You know, we all know that World War II was, was devastating. It ended in the Pacific with two atomic bombs being dropped on Japan. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese people being a Shinto culture, they believed that their, uh, that, that their emperor was a descendant of their, 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 their sun god and that they were destined to rule the world and they couldn't be defeated. They really believed this was a part of their national culture. So when Japan was defeated, it was devastating to the morale of the Japanese people. I mean, they were suicide rates went up. MacArthur is in charge of reconstruction, but he also could see what's going on. And when he saw the demoralization and the suicide rates and so forth, what did he do? He, first of all, called to the Christian community and asked for every missionary that was available to come to Japan. He, he asked the Bible League, I think it was called, to publish 10 million Bibles in Japanese and so that they could be distributed. Now, Japan didn't become a Christian nation, but that's who MacArthur was. He cared about the people and all the people under him the Japanese were quite amazed at the Americans because they never did to the defeated people what the Japanese had done in China and elsewhere, where, you know, the men were killed and the women were raped mm -hmm. and the children were even killed. I mean, there's horror stories of what Japan did in China and Southeast Asia. The Americans are, are very honorable people. They treat them with respect. Uh, they, the Japanese couldn't believe it. In any case, um, you know, the reconstruction went well. Japan's been a friend of America ever since. I mean, we've got ups and downs and so forth, but they are one of our best international friends and have been ever since that time. Uh, MacArthur was called to lead the Korean War then. And, uh, and uh, after the Korean War and after his career was over, he was interviewed by US News and World Report. And he was asked, you know, you were, you were involved in World War One, World War Two, the Korean War. You're all, the only body, the only major general that was involved in three of the wars of the 20th century. What was the most meaningful and important part of it? Tell us your best story, General MacArthur. What did MacArthur say? He said, the most meaningful thing that I did was my spiritual stewardship in Japan after the war. 
Now that's a story that is, it's actually in General MacArthur's uh, memoirs, his book called Reminisces, but most people don't realize, you know, how great many of our leaders were in different ways. But the book really brings out story after story of the greatness and all these qualities. And that's why we can save our future by drawing from our past. These qualities of character that, you know, involve courage, persistence, resilience. You know, when, when you're defeated and you're out, is it over? No, you've got to bounce back. Uh, faith and reliance on God is maybe should be at the top of the list, uh, and it was for so many of these people. You know, uh, being a servant leader, uh, having respect and tolerance, we talked about that, very important. You know, forgiveness and, and uh, you know, mindfulness and, and being self-controlled, these were all qualities that all many of these leaders exhibited. And many of these qualities have just evaporated from our modern American life. So the book is designed, you know, really falls into us into the self-help category as well as this Americana history category. It, it, it is absolutely the perfect book for me. It touches on the history. Uh, which I'm fascinated by. It tells stories. So if you if you're into novels and stories, it touches on stories, but it also gives hope and helps you to look inside yourself and remember that there are qualities, there are godly qualities that have been a part of the miraculous stories of American history. There is an importance to America. There's an importance to this freedom that if this light is extinguished, as uh, one of our founding fathers said, it, it's gone forever and yes. it will shed a darkness across borders across the planet like we've never experienced before. We are the last bastion of true freedom. You're absolutely right. In, in many ways, even though we have we're in, a, in a, a tough period of decline right now, we still have the benefits in our culture of our past. But as generations go by, if we don't correct things, we may, we may lose that connection with our past entirely. So do you think we're ripe for a revival? Oh, I, I see it going on already. Bring it. <laughs> Bring it. Look, look, look at what's going on. The American people are waking up on many different levels to their government acting unconstitutionally, abusing their power, acting tyrannically in local jurisdictions, states, and even nationally. Look at the administration of healthcare, the COVID, the pandemic, and how therapeutic preventative drugs that are proven and worked were denied to the American people because the vaccination industry wanted to make more money. I mean, that, that alone is a great wake-up call to the Americans because we would think that in the administration of healthcare, the doctors take a Hippocratic oath and everyone involved with healthcare really cares about the people. We've just been woken up to the fact that, they, that, that the bureaucrats don't care about the people. The, there are many doctors that still do, but the doctors are, are performing, living out their profession by the regulations that they have and the social pressures that exist. Mm -hmm. And so doctors were denied the opportunity to treat patients the way that they wanted to. 
in, in many cases. But all of that is now coming to light. Yeah. And, and <clears> so I think we can other, learn a lot. things are coming to light. A, a lot that we can learn about uh, the America and what we've see, had seen through this pandemic. Uh, a government governs best that governs closest to home. And uh Healthcare is best when it is decided closest to home between you, your family, your your doctor, uh, personal Absolutely. choices that are specific to you because individuals matter in our system of government. In, in our system of government, your personal choices matter. What's best for you, the pursuit of happiness. And that's not just walking around happy all the time. That's you pursuing what's best for you between you, your God, your family. We saw that in a microcosm in such, it played out through this pandemic, through our health care. And there are other ways as well where we see that, that principle of freedom, that when employed in our health, in our families, in our lives, we can thrive. And I, I think that you're right. The whole point of this interview today and one of the most powerful points of your book is rediscovering America and that freedom, the, that, the pursuit of happiness, the, the standing on the side of right. And we haven't always done that. We have abused our power. We have been cruel at, at, at times, but our system set in place is a good one. And our reliance on God and the principles of the Bible that have always helped us to, to move back to what is right is what's behind the many, many countless stories that, that we'll, in, we'll encounter in your book. And can be a foundation for moving forward in the future. I'd like to just give you a, a final moment to give us a bit of hope as we move forward, because you're a man who's, who's delved into our, our past in America. What do you see for our future? Well, I, I think that we're in a, a very important transitional period. It'll probably be take many years to really bring about a full awakening and not everyone will be really awakened to, to the truth, if you will. But um, the numbers are growing. The narratives of the other side, the dark side, are being found to be wanting, to be found to be false. We've been lied to by our government. And, and it affects our, our, our own health and, and many other things. We've got an open southern border illegal people are, are coming in, crowding out the citizens in schools, the kids of the citizens, crowding out citizens in, in the healthcare system. Anyway, um, Americans don't like this. They're wondering why is this happening? So they're more able to understand that there are dark forces at work within our country and that we have to bring accountability. So I would I would remind your listeners, take heart, take courage, persist, push back, reassert your constitutional rights. These are God-given rights. No state, no governor, no president can take those away from you. Reassert them, put your best foot forward, 
love your neighbor as yourself and vote, <laughs> vote at every level locally and elsewhere, be involved in your schools. These are hard things for Americans to do. They haven't been doing them because they're so busy living their lives, but it's different now. We have to get involved. I cannot thank you enough. I, I love it when I get the opportunity to do an interview and I feel like on the end of the interview, I'm more encouraged and I'm a better person than I was when I started the interview. <laughs> and that is a bit of what I experienced today. And as you're uh, listening, watching or reading this, I encourage you because if you pick up the book, you'll feel that way as, as well. It's the let, hope for Let me for close by telling, telling the readers how they, the listeners, uh, they aren't readers yet, the listeners, how they can get the book and, and why they should get the book now. Because, uh, the book isn't released yet. It gets released on March 8th, but among new releases, it is number, it's the number one ranked book on Amazon in the history genre. And it's not even out. It's not, no one has access That's to great. it. So the word is somehow getting out there of the power of this message. But unfortunately we face supply chain constraints in the printing business, printing and binding. There's two steps to producing a book. There's the printing of the pages and there's you know, they used to sew them together, they use glue now, they bind them. So printing and binding is, has supply chain constraints. So print runs are smaller than they normally are. I'm, I, I rather think this book is gonna sell out on its first printing, which will be released on March 8th. This is the pre-sale period. So if you put an order in now, you're guaranteed to, to probably get that book. But more importantly in some ways is that pre-sales are the metric that my publisher and all publishers use to decide on how big the next print run should be. So if they see a big pre-sale, that the pre-sale orders are, are big, it means a very large print run. And that'll be the second printing, which should come shortly after the first. And we, we, we want this book to be in every library. We want it available for, for home schools. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we, want to be, we want it to become a bestseller, not for fame, or, or, you know, or, or selling books for money. It's for the message. Yeah. You know, I think this book can really help reacquaint people in a very meaningful way, in a joyful way, too. The book is a source of great, amazing optimism. It, and indeed. I, and I see that optimism in you. Uh, as And Scott, it, it is important. You mentioned vote. Well, that's one way that we vote. We vote by uh, getting books like this. And that tells people we're interested. It uh, gives people, I, I have looked forward to this interview. There are people in your future who may not look so forward to an interview talking about the rediscovering of America, but you know, they're going to have to share it because it's a big thing. And it the more we, thing. the more yeah. we pick up this book, the more we talk about it, the bigger thing it gets, the more the message gets out. Well, so have, this is our way of spreading the message of freedom. Life. You know, so many books, it's, it's the scandal of the time. It's the event, yes. very event books tend to be very event driven. This is, this book is timeless and it can be a resource book. So when, you know, parents are wondering, well, what, what, what is Labor Day? Why, why do we celebrate Labor Day? Why do we say, what, what's, what's the difference in Veterans Day and Memorial Day? They can just pick up this book and, and in a, in a 10 minute reading, they can find out uh, get get the answers that they want that are meaningful 
to be able to share with their kids or their grandchildren. And trust me, as you're watching, listening, reading, it gets to the God story. And that's oh, what sure we're all does. about here. Scott Powell is the author of Rediscovering America. I have a link on my Michelle Live and many of the places that you're listening or watching this video. If you go to my Michelle Live, a link right there to pre-sale for this book, or if you're listening to this after March 8th, how to pick up your book. Scott, this has been Great. such Thank a delight. So Thank you for joining you're, you're, me today. You're, you're, you're the light of of uh podcasting my dear <laughs> you're the light bless your heart thank you continue, so much continue to see that light in a world of darkness okay amen and you as well thank you for more fun go to mymichellelive.com